Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 again this morning. There are, um, well, one of the reasons I want to start there is because I just like this verse. There's a lot of verses I like, but this is one that I really like. And I believe there are things that the Bible reveals to us in the beginning, the creation of man, concerning God's intent, his will, his plan, his purpose, that never changes. If it was God's will in the beginning, it's, it's God's will now because he never changes. And I think there are some things, well, I know there are some things that, uh, that are important for us to see, not just with our natural eyes, but with the, the eyes of our spirits. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Now, these words, image and likeness, are, are d- different they have a similar meaning, but they're different in the fact that uh, it tells us that God is making us a duplicate, making man as a duplicate of himself. When I first started seeing some of these things, I said, and I, I said it for a number of weeks, maybe a couple of months, that, uh, that God made man as near to himself as was possible. But then I was reminded after a period of time that all things are possible with God. He can do anything. So if he wanted to make God in, in his image and after his likeness a duplicate of himself, he made him a duplicate of himself, not close to a du- duplicate of himself, but the real thing. I want you to realize this. God made Adam a copy of himself. Now, Adam messed things up. We know how he fell in the garden. But that's the way it started. That was God's intent. And I'll say it again, since God never changes, if it was his original intent, it's his present day intent. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. For what purpose? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God made man a duplicate of himself to rule the earth. Again, God's intent has not changed. This is one of the great truths that, uh, that I think are, are overlooked, and there are many of those. But this is one of the great truths of, of Christianity that I believe is, is uh, widely overlooked. God intend, intended and intends for the earth to be ruled and dominated by those who are like himself. Now, we know how he made, him, made us uh, or made Adam like himself. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says, The Lord God formed man of the, dust, of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. So when God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, he's not just talking about physical appearance. Now, we know there are similarities there because uh, in Exodus 33, when Moses asked God to show him his glory, God said, well, you can't look upon my face and live, which means God has a face. He said, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and put my hand over you so God has a hand. And he's, then he said, I'll pass by, let my goodness pass before you, and you can see my back parts. Well, if God's got back parts, then he has to have front parts. <laughs> Otherwise, parts is parts. So we see there's a, a, a physical likeness or a likeness in appearance. 
But that's not what the Bible is, is referring to ex- exclusively when he said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness, because the Bible identifies that he breathed into him, into man, into Adam, the breath of life. Now, if God's breathing the breath of life into him, what does Adam receive? The very nature of God. Now, if we talk about man being made in God's image, then all the characteristics and all the attributes of God would have been Adam's attributes and characteristics too. If God is holy, then Adam was holy. Because God breathed into him his very essence, his very existence. If God is just, then Adam was just. If God's a God of love, then Adam was a man of love. If God was righteous then Adam was righteous. And, and to me, this is the overriding truth of this scripture. When God said, let man made in our image and after our likeness have dominion over the earth, God intended and still does intend for men made in his image, righteous men and women to rule and dominate the earth. Now that's what got messed up when Adam fell. Remember God told him, he said, uh, you need of all the fruits of the trees, everything on the earth is yours except this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, we know how Adam and Eve fell. We know that they ate of the fruit of the tree that they were commanded not to. The Bible says their eyes were opened and they knew immediately the wrong that they had done. And the sin that was now present within them and a part of their lives. In other words, we might say that man became sin conscious and self conscious. Now, here's another great truth that I think uh, would be well for us to meditate on, and that is this God doesn't want you to be conscious of either one, either yourself or of sin. Well, Adam and Eve didn't die physically in the day that they ate of the fruit of the tree that they were commanded not to. But what happened? They died spiritually. So here's God's finest creation, his duplicate on the earth, and he's lost his right standing with God. He's lost his place of righteousness. Now, here's the important thing that I think for us to see, or one of the important things anyway, and that is, I'll make the statement again that I made a minute ago. God intended and intends today for righteous men and women, righteous men and women, men made in his image. You can't be in the image of God if you're unrighteous because God is righteous. He intends for righteous men and women to rule and to dominate in this earth. But man was no longer righteous because of sin. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. The problem now that God has is that man is spiritually dead. The one that he intends to rule and dominate the earth is now spiritually dead. What's he going to do? God's intent... And thank God his fulfilled plan 
was to restore man to his original condition. And he did that through the work of Jesus. Now, I want you to consider something else. And that is, before Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, they didn't know anything except what God had given them. We know that God created man on the sixth day. On the seventh day, he rested. And it seems that we, uh, we expect or we think that on the eighth day, God started a faith seminar so that Adam would learn how to operate in the earth. But folks, I want you to understand something. I want you to think this through. There was no need for Adam to have an understanding of faith before he fell. He didn't have to learn how to believe in his heart and say with his mouth. He didn't have to learn how to stand against the the contradicting circumstances or the issues of life that would refute or attempt to refute the word of God. He spoke and things happened. He's made in the image of God. If it were not for the fall of man, we would, we meaning present day believers, we would simply be doing what we saw our father do when he spoke words in the world would came into existence. We would be exercising authority in the earth, dominion in the earth, just simply by speaking the words of our mouth. We wouldn't even have to know that it was called faith. It'd just be acting like our father. Just fulfilling his commands and his instructions in the earth. The reason why it's so necessary for us to have an understanding of faith. And why the Bible tells us so much about faith. Is because this natural realm. Is tainted by sin. But the modern day church seems to focus on, major on. One significant thing that the Bible just denies out of hand. And that is the modern day church seems to preach on sin. Which develops a sin consciousness on the part of the believer. When the Bible says that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. There seems to be two kinds of righteousness. One righteousness that the church preaches is that, yes, we're born again. Yes, heaven is our eternal destination. But man still has a sin nature. And it's only when we get to heaven and receive our redeemed bodies that we'll be free from the total impact and results of sin. Think about what that means. That means then that the blood of Jesus was not sufficient to take away all sin but that it has to be completed or perfected by the death of the physical body, which is of the devil. That can't be true. It's impossible. The other kind of righteousness is the righteousness that the Bible speaks of, which includes a complete redemption for man. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Turn with me over to first, uh, second Corinthians, I'm sorry, second Corinthians chapter five and verse 17. 
It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The word creature is the word creation. I like one translation of this. It says he's a new species of being. Do you realize that when God sent Jesus to the cross to pay the price for mankind and raise him from the dead, to open the way for all men to be saved, God created a new species of being by the new birth. Now he's restored according to the scripture. It goes on to say old things have passed away and all things have become new. Well, what old things passed away? Physical things didn't pass away. You don't change the way you look by getting saved. Doesn't change your eye color or your hair color or put your hair back in place. So it's not physical things that change. But what all things have passed away then? What all things become new? He's talking spiritually. Jesus going to the cross and being raised from the dead restored man to his original position of being in the image and likeness of God by having the presence of God within him. That's the kind of righteousness that the Bible speaks of. Notice verse 21 of Romans chapter 5. It says, For he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might be made, that we might become. He's talking about a change of nature. He's talking about a change of nature. Now, without question, we still have the experience of sin in our bodies. Every man has a history of sin. And the residue that's in our bodies is the experience. Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We still know good and evil. But man is made righteous. His spirit, the real man, the man on the inside, is made righteous by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to read to you some scripture in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 57. Verses 20 and 21, it says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. When man fell, there was a hole created on the inside of every person. Every person is born with a hole on the inside of them. And what I mean by that is there's a lack, there's a knowledge on the inside of every person that something's missing. And the reason there is, is because God created man to dominate the earth. He created man to be righteous, to be an exact copy and duplicate of himself. And nothing will satisfy you except that restoration to God, that being reconciled to God. Nothing will satisfy the heart of man. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that people know that's what it is. I don't believe most of them do. But it's what causes man to chase anything and everything to find peace. Some people look for it in drinking or drugs or partying or activities or hobbies or whatever it might be. But there's something missing on the inside of man that only a relationship and fellowship with God will will fill. 
But man can't escape his sin consciousness except through Jesus. And so what has happened in the earth, the world that we live in, is that man has tried to reason his way back to God or back to a place of peace. That's why we have so many different religions in the world and all of them have different tenets and foundational principles and so forth. Because man is trying to think himself back to God. And you can't do it. It's interesting to me that in John chapter 3. When it says Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And said master we know thou art come from God. For no man can do the miracles that you do except God is with him. And Jesus recognizing the implied question. What's this all about? How do we do this? How do we get there? How can we explain this? Jesus does not respond that he's the son of God with a special work here on the earth to do miracles and signs and wonders. Jesus instead says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is this being born again about? Well, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, look at the way that the Bible equates righteousness and salvation. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. Did you know that when you came to get saved, whatever the the circumstances were about your salvation experience, you were believing under righteousness? Now, that certainly doesn't mean we were taught about righteousness. Most of us were not. But everything about salvation is wrapped up in this one word, righteousness. Jesus explained to Nicodemus, That it was his relationship with God, not his call, not the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Not something special because he was sent to the earth and born of a virgin, fulfilling the role of the Messiah. He tells Nicodemus, except a man be born again, except a man be made righteous. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Righteousness is the key. Righteousness is the important thing. But it seems that most people have this idea that one of these days, probably not until we get to heaven, but at least by then when we get to heaven, we'll be able to be righteous. And the Bible says you already are. Now, God says you are and your feelings say you're not. One of them's true and one of them's a lie. There's no middle ground. Most of the songs we sing put off victory until we get to heaven. Most church teaching is that we know we're supposed to be righteous, but we know we're not there yet. And nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible says that God has given to the church. In Ephesians 5, 27, it says God has given to the church the word of God that he might present the church to himself, a glorious church. 
well, when are we going to be a glorious church? God says we are now. Isaiah 54, verses 17 and verse 20, I believe it is. Uh, It's verse 14 and 17. In righteousness thou shalt be established. This is what God said in the Old Testament. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. In other words, it's saying that our understanding of righteousness... is a determining factor in our ability to stand strong in the face of sickness and disease, sin and the consequences thereof. Look at Jesus. Jesus stood in the face of the storm with absolutely no fear. He stood in the face of the devil and the devil's works with absolutely no fear. Why? Well, the church would tell you, the church has taught us, That it was because he knew that he was special. He knew he was the son of God. He knew that he was the Messiah. And therefore he had power over these things that you and I don't have. Yet Jesus said we'd do the same works that he did. The Bible says let this same mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Well if it's the same mind it'd have to be the same attitudes wouldn't it? What did Jesus know that the modern Christian doesn't know? He knew his standing with God. He stood before Lazarus' tomb in John chapter 11. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. So he's already prayed about the situation before. He said, I thank you that you have heard me and that you hear me always. Why? Because he was righteous. The Bible tells us specifically in Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory. The glory that he had with the father when the worlds began. He laid that aside and came to the earth. Humbled himself to come to the earth as a man. So as a man what separated Jesus from everybody else? Righteousness. We just read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, for he, God, made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can get people to agree on the first half of that verse. God made Jesus to be sin for us. But most of the crowd won't agree that we've been made the righteousness of God in him. Well, what is it that's going to make us righteous if the blood of Jesus hadn't already done the work? You know, the Bible never says anything about growing in righteousness. It talks about growing in grace. It talks about growing in faith. It talks about growing in love. But it never says a word about growing in righteousness. You know why? Because you don't grow in righteousness. You are made righteous by the work of Jesus. You will never be any more righteous than you are right now. So if your idea is that you're trying to grow into righteousness and mature spiritually so that then you can be worthy, you're wasting your time. You're made worthy by one and only one thing, and that is the blood of Jesus. 
Let me read these scriptures again in Isaiah 54. Verse 14, in righteousness thou shalt be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, for, it shall not, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Verse 17, no weapon, no weapon, no work of the enemy that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and the righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Well, if your righteousness is of him, that means you can't improve on it by your works. Jesus stood in the face of sickness and disease and sin, destruction, demonic power, with absolutely no fear because he knew that he was right with God. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read the last few verses of the fourth chapter. It's talking about Abraham's faith and his example of faith for us. Verse 22, and it says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Imputed is an accounting term. It means to count to your credit. Abraham's faith, which was before Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross, was counted to him as righteousness. Well, there's nothing counted to us as righteous today because Jesus has already done the work. We've been made the righteousness of God in him. And therefore it was imputed to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses... And was raised again for our justification. Raised again for our justification is a poor translation. Because the for, the word for, has to do with time. It's an adjective that speaks to time. It would most appropriately, accurately be translated, who is delivered up for our offenses and was raised from the dead. When we were justified. In other words, God didn't leave Jesus in the pit of the earth. In the bowels of hell for one moment longer than it took to pay the price for us. When the price was paid. Jesus was raised from the dead. Now notice chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore. Referring back to what Jesus, the price Jesus paid. Therefore, being justified by faith. The word justified means to be made righteous. Therefore, being made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. Do you know what the, the, the strength of the argument that the enemy has foisted on the church for well, maybe thousands of years? The strength of the argument of unworthiness 
is the question of peace. Because if you're still fighting to be better, struggling to try to gain some place of righteousness on your own, you'll never have peace. It's impossible to have peace under those conditions. The only way to satisfy and to gain this place called peace is to accept that righteousness is a free gift that has been given to you and God looks on you with as much love and appreciation and admiration as he looks on Jesus. Standing right next to to Jesus, if God had to make a choice, he wouldn't make the choice for Jesus over you. He loves you just as much. You are just as righteous in his sight as Jesus himself. One of the things that that throws a lot of people that the Bible's real clear on is that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Now, he was not the firstborn from physical death. People were raised from the dead in the Old Testament and even in Jesus' ministry too. So that can't be the death that it's talking about. When the Bible says Jesus was raised again from the dead or the firstborn from the dead, it literally means Jesus was the first one that was born again. See, if Jesus paid the price, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that's what God told Adam in the Garden of Eden. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, he died spiritually. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Somebody's blood had to pay the price for man's spiritual death. Thank God Jesus is dead. But that means Jesus had to die spiritually. He made him to be sin. This was not some trickery that was done in the spirit realm. Jesus literally became sin, if the Bible is true. That you might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus became sin. He died spiritually. In other words, Jesus came to the place, just as he said on the cross, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He came to the place where he was no longer able to do anything for his own benefit. Now, while he was hanging on the cross, he said himself, I could call legions of angels and get me down from here. But once he comes to the point where he lays down his life by choice, willingly. Once he comes to the point where he says, Father, it's all up to you now. Jesus is beyond help. Or beyond helping himself. But Romans 4 that we just read. Said that he was delivered up for our offenses. And he was raised again when we were justified. I'm not sure how all this works. Or worked. But there came a moment in time. A literal moment in time. Where the price was paid. God said that's enough. And then the spirit of life came back upon Jesus. At that moment. Jesus became the first person that was born again. First begotten from the dead, as the scripture says. You've got the same born again life that Jesus has now. It's not a different one. It's not a copy of what he has. It's the same exact life.
And that life is the restoration of what Adam lost in the, in the Garden of Eden. That life restores you to a place of dominion in the earth. That means we have, if the Bible's telling us the truth, I know this is hard for some people to accept, but it's the key to real victory in life. That means we can stand before the Father and say, just as Jesus said, I thank you, Father, that you hear me always. God didn't always hear Jesus because he was the Messiah. God didn't always hear Jesus because he was called and anointed the Holy Ghost to do miracles. He always heard Jesus because he was his son, made in the image and likeness of him. And now so are you. Now so are you. If there is any work left to be done for you to become righteous, then the blood of Jesus wasn't complete. Now, righteousness in the Bible does not speak to behavior. There are, there are scriptures that talk about bringing forth fruits of righteousness, doing things that are worthy of righteousness. But righteousness is by nature. Brother Hagin said that he was in a church one place, small church, and, and he knew of a fellow uh, about a guy that was in that church. He was considered to be the best and the finest Christian in the whole crowd. So he was reading 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he stopped in the middle of his message and said to the fellow sitting on the front row, he said, brother, are you righteous? He said, I'm trying to be. Well, that's an honest answer. But then he made the point this way. He said, I don't mean to be offensive, but I need to ask you another question. Are you a man or are you a woman? The guy, you know, batted his eyes a little bit and he said, well, I'm a man. He said, how do you know? And the guy had the perfect answer. He said, because I was born that way. Well, that's the only way you can become righteous, to be born that way. That's what the Bible is telling you. That's what the scripture means when it says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new species of being. You were born into a new creature. You were born into a new species of being. And there's not one thing you can do to become more righteous than Jesus has already made you. Jesus explained to his disciples about faith because he was trying to show them here's how righteous men and women live. The Bible says the just, again, the word just means those who are made righteous, shall live by faith. Now, because we live so much, most people at least, live so much in the natural, they live according to what they see and they feel. It's necessary. It was necessary in Jesus' case 
to explain and to define how faith works. Jesus, when he cursed the fig tree in Mark chapter 11, explained to the disciples how this principle of faith works. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He went on in verse 24 of Mark chapter 11, saying, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. He's telling righteous men and women how they should live. He defines this principle, this operation of faith. Because this is the principle where righteous, whereby righteous men and women live and operate in this world. We've been restored back to our original condition. The original condition that Adam had in the Garden of Eden. But isn't it interesting that none of the creation account tells us about God teaching Adam about faith? Because it was not recognized as faith at that point in time. It was simply doing what God does. And that's what Jesus said over and over and over again that the Jews wanted to kill him for. He said, my father and I are one. He's saying I'm the same nature as God. Well, because of their sin consciousness... They couldn't accept that to be true. So they tried to kill him. But Jesus defined this and explained why he was one with the Father. He said, I only do those things I see my Father do. He said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Now I realize that I'm approaching sacrilege territory here. But if you are just as righteous as Jesus was when he was here on the earth and is now because he's been born again his own sacrifice then you have every right to say he that has seen me has seen the father too you have a right to say I only do those things which please my father and that's what gave Jesus his fearlessness in the face of sin and sickness and disease and demons and every other work of the devil Romans chapter 5, verse 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, because of Adam's sin, death reigned upon all of mankind, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Folks, if the Bible is true, and I realize that some scriptures seem too good to be true for some people, But if the Bible is true, then that means there is no area in our life, none, where the blood of Jesus resulting in righteousness for you and me does not give us dominion. Now, we may not be exercising it. We may not be living up to the dominion that was given to us. But the Bible specifically says that the abundance of grace, that which results in the finished work of Jesus, God stooping down to man, 
restoring him to his original position. And the gift of righteousness, the gift, gift of righteousness. If it's a gift, you can't work for it. If it's a gift, then there's only one work for you and me, and that's to receive it. If the Bible's true. And the Bible says that receiving that gift, and I believe that word receive means to understand what you're getting, creates dominion for those who have been restored in spirit by nature to be in the image and likeness of God. We're restored to that place of dominion. Notice verse 21 of Romans 5. It says that as sin has reigned unto death, talking about Adam's sin, even so might grace, the finished work of Jesus, reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, clearly, I think we could say without argument here, the modern-day church has separated eternal life from righteousness. The modern-day church seems to have defined eternal life as forgiveness of sins and a promise of heaven. And I I think the evidence of that, or maybe the proof of that, is that there's so little teaching in the body of Christ on righteousness. A lot of teaching in the body of Christ on sin. Which creates a sin consciousness. It produces a sin consciousness in the part of the, in the minds of the believers. But why should you be conscious of something you've been delivered from? Yeah, but Pastor Mike, don't we all stumble and fall? Yeah, unfortunately we do. But it doesn't change our nature. The old man's been done away with, put away by the blood of Jesus. Now the experience in our flesh will sometimes cause us to stumble. But according to the Bible, we have an advocate. First John 1 John 1.9 says if we're We'll confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, it doesn't change your relationship with God. It'll hinder your fellowship until you ask forgiveness and go forward. But it doesn't change your relationship. Jesus said of his disciples, and he's praying for his disciples, he said, Father, I've kept them all except for Judas who is to fulfill the plan of God by through his treachery in giving Jesus away to the Romans. He said, Father, no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Well, then that would have to mean no sin is able to pluck you out of his hand either. No wrong action on your part or anybody else's part can pluck you out of his hand. They which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life, in this life, 
through one Jesus Christ. I'm firmly convinced, folks, that an understanding of righteousness, the right understanding of righteousness, is the key to doing the works of Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus standing before those that were demon-possessed and saying, devil, come out, and then under his breath muttering, I sure hope I'm worthy of this. Sure hope I've done enough good works so that this will work for me. Well, that doesn't even enter into our thought life. Because Jesus knew who he was. Well, who was he? He was a child of God. Not the creator of the universe. He laid that aside. But he was a child of God. Well, the Bible says you are too. The Bible says that you've received the same gift of righteousness that Jesus was born unto and born again into. The same nature of God. Turn with me over to James chapter 5. I'll close with this. Let's start in verse 13. It says, is any among you afflicted? That means going through a test or a trial. Let him pray. Isn't it funny how most Christians are trying to get other people to pray for them? When the Bible says, do your own praying. Now, why would the Bible say, do your own praying? Because God hears you just as quick as he'll hear the other person you want to pray for you. We sometimes get the idea that people that are greatly used of God or they've walked with God for a long time. That somehow they have a a direct line to God where we have to go through the switchboard. But whoever you admire most in the things of God or in ministry or in life. Isn't any more righteous than you are. The blood of Jesus makes it puts us on equal footing. So it says, is any among you afflicted, going through a test or a trial or a hard place? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. That means don't let any hard feelings get between you and somebody else. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now I dare say that when all of us read these verses of scripture, at least until we learn to grow past it. We read the scripture where it says the last part of the verse where it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We start thinking Well, what righteous man could we get to pray? But that's talking about you. Let me prove it to you. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah, 
Verse 17, Elias, that means Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. It's interesting to me that James would use the example of Elijah as a righteous man. He clearly thought and understood that people would be looking for an example of righteousness that they don't attain to. Someone that they can't identify with. So he used somebody that was greatly used of God. He prayed and it didn't rain three and a half years because of his prayer. Certainly he was directed of God to pray. Certainly he was part of God's plan for his life and ministry. And to show Israel the consequence of their sin. But Elijah did a lot of things. The Bible tells us a lot of stuff about Elijah where he messed up. You remember the contest on Mount Carmel. Where they built the altar and they he challenged the prophets of Baal. Let's see which God answers by fire. If it's God, we'll serve him. If it's Baal, we'll serve him. The fire from heaven fell. And Elijah single-handedly killed 450 of the prophets of Baal that day. But when word gets back to Jezebel, the queen, whose prophets the prophets of Baal belonged to, really, she would get them to prophesy certain things so she could manipulate the people. When word gets back to her, she says, well, I'm going to do the same thing to Elijah by this time tomorrow. So Elijah, the great man of faith and power, who shut heaven up for three and a half years because of his prayer, called the fire down from heaven on the altar and killed by the sword 450 of the prophets of Baal, takes off running for his life. Some courage. He takes off running for his life and stops and sits down under the juniper tree and says, oh God, just let me die. Now, you know as well as I do that if he really wanted to die, he could have stayed where he was and Jezebel would have taken place, taken care of that for him. So when he said, Lord, let me die, he didn't really want to die. He's running so that he won't die. And this is the guy that the Bible says is who we should identify with as a righteous man. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, I've missed it like Elijah has, haven't you? He was subject to like passions, just like you. Subject to emotions, subject to wrong thoughts, subject to temptations. But he was righteous because he believed God and acted in obedience to what God told him to do. We've even got a better righteousness than he had. He had a credit toward righteousness we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so when James uses this example the effectual fervent prayer the word effectual means effective fervent means from the heart when we pray from our hearts effectively according to the word of God our prayers avail much the amplified says makes tremendous power available our prayers avail much Our prayers bring the power of God on the scene because we are the righteousness of God in him, in Christ Jesus.
Nobody's prayers get God's ear more than yours do. That doesn't mean everybody prays effectively on an equal basis when it comes to praying effectively. Some people are more effective in prayer because they found the truth of praying the word. John said it this way. He said, this we know if we pray according to his will, which will be according to the word of God, we know he hears us. And if or since we know he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of him. So we all have to be on equal footing if we all have the same knowledge that he hears us if we pray according to his will. That means one person's righteousness does not get them a greater ear of God than yours do. We would have to be on equal footing. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's part of reigning in this life. That's by the abundance of grace. And it's by the gift of righteousness that restores man to a place of dominion. Now that doesn't mean everything's going to operate instantly. But what it does mean is this. We've been restored to the place of righteousness. We've been restored to the image and likeness of God. We've been restored to a place of dominion. So the earth has no power to resist your words. And in the name of Jesus, the devil has no power to resist your words. And Jesus called that faith. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't mince words when it came to acting like God? He just says, here's the God kind of faith. Speak to your mountain. And if you're really lucky, things might work out. He said, speak to the mountain and the mountain will obey you. Speak to the mountain and things will change. Speak to the mountain and the mountain will move. Now, if Jesus was telling that to people that didn't have authority on the earth, then he perpetrated a mean trick on them. On us all. But he knew that his blood would restore us to the image and likeness of God, where we would be men and women of righteousness because we were born into it by the blood of Jesus. The mountain will move for you, and God wants it to move for you. He wants you and me to operate this way. How long is it going to take, Pastor Mike? I don't know. But the mountain will move. Well, I've got a deadline next Friday. Can I expect it by then? I don't know. But the mountain will move.
Is there some kind of time limit we can put on these things? I don't know. But the mountain will move. You're asking things that Jesus didn't address. Jesus just simply said the mountain will move. I'm going to stick with mine until the mountain's gone. How about you? Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that restored us to your original intent. We're righteous men and women in Christ have dominion on the earth. Father, we don't count it a light thing, but rather a precious thing that we can stand before you without a sense of condemnation or guilt, knowing that we are of you and that you're for us. We thank you, Father, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Mr. Demble, we serve notice on you. We're not afraid of you anymore. For we have been made righteous. And there's not a thing you could do about it. And because of the dominion that the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness has restored to us, we command you to go. We call our bodies healed. We call our lives free from sin and sickness. We say even as the word of God says, sin no longer has dominion over us. And that's not even determined by our own actions, but by the precious blood of Jesus. We may stumble, we may fall, you may trip us up. But we're still righteous by the blood of Jesus. When we make mistakes, we'll clear them up. And we'll find the faithfulness of God to restore us to fellowship. But we're still righteous. The word of God says, he whom the son is set free is free indeed. That means free in every area. We declare ourselves to be free in every area. Mountain move in Jesus' name. Hindrance be gone in Jesus' name. We declare, even as the scripture says, that we reign in this life. Through Jesus Christ. We say with Jesus. He that has seen us has seen the father. For we have the same life that he had. We say with Jesus. That we always do those things that please our heavenly father. We say with Jesus. Thank you father that you hear me always. And we say that our heartfelt 
prayers according to the word of God avail much, make tremendous power available because we are righteous. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to start your mornings off this week by looking in the mirror and declaring that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you've never done that before, it'll feel weird. There may be a hesitation. There may even be a hindrance that comes against you to say it because the devil doesn't want you knowing that. He doesn't even mind you so much hearing about it. He just doesn't want you acting on it for yourself. Because once you do, his power over you is broken. Even as it said in the Old Testament, in righteousness shall you be established. In the declaration of that righteousness, in the understanding and the knowledge of that righteousness, you remove his power from your life. So I want to challenge you. Start your mornings off by looking in the mirror and declaring that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and that because of the work of Jesus and the gift of righteousness that has been given to you, you reign over all the work of the enemy in this life. Thank God we're righteous. Let's all stand together. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, Father, we worship you. We magnify you for your great plan of redemption. It was a complete plan of redemption. You've restored us to your image and your likeness. We are of you. Our righteousness is of you. We magnify you, Father. We exalt the precious and holy name of Jesus. We declare that sin has no longer dominion over us. We are free from all the work of the enemy because we've been made righteous by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Open our eyes, Lord. Show us what this really means. Take us further that we may do the works of Jesus, that we may live free from sin, from sickness, and from all the works of the enemy. Show us, Father. Enlighten us, Holy Spirit, that we may know like we've never known and see like we've never seen and walk in the reality of it, even as you've declared we will. We love you, Father. We bless your holy name. Say it with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I always will be. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed.